Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia, which is where we are recording today. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe in your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So today we're going to talk about whether you should change your customer profile. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this topic. I'm interested in this topic um, for a number of reasons. Number one, as it happens, it's very timely. I, I just came back from a strategy meeting at our our global headquarters in uh, in in Dayton, Ohio, um, where the valuation practice of Bradyware got together, and we decided, in effect, our strategy for the next five years. And in the nine hours that we had that meeting, about eight of them talked about defining what our customer profile is going to be going forward. And, and I, I think that, um, I think that's so critical because unless you figure out what your customer profile is, all the other things that you want to talk about in terms of marketing and staffing, investment and other strategy, none of those are going to be right unless you understand what your customer profile is going to be. It's that central, it's that foundational to your business strategy. And therefore, you know, we decided that if, 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 that's all we accomplished in that particular day, then um, that was going to be a win for us. And um, I'm not going to, I'm not leading up to a big announcement or anything like that, but uh, you know, we will probably in about four to six weeks as we flesh out the strategy. But, but the strategy part is not time well spent unless you've identified that customer. The other neat part about going up to Dayton was I discovered something I, I did not know because I, I do not pay attention to college basketball that much uh, now that Georgetown is somehow managed to be irrelevant in college basketball. But the Dayton Flyers, I don't know if anybody realizes, Dayton Flyers are ranked number six or seven in the country. I had no idea. So anyway, good for Dayton out there. And by the way, what a cool name of the Flyers, of course, of the Flyers, because that's where the Wright brothers originated, even though they did their flight in North Carolina. Um, so a shout out to the Dayton Flyers. We'll be rooting for them when the tournament shows up. But, you know, the customer profile is, is so foundational. And, and you know, when, when companies, every company, I don't think there's a company in the world that is satisfied with selling. Every Every company believes that it can sell better than it's currently doing. I think most companies look at revenue and sales and says, you know, that, look, that's when I wake up in the morning, that's, that's one of the things that I, I worry about. And it's one of the things that I worry about going to bed the night before too, is, is sales. And if you don't have that customer profile, right, everything else just doesn't matter. And that requires, requires frankly, deep thought and requires some understanding of, uh, of of what that customer is going to be because you're literally going to build everything around that. 
And in spite of having a big powwow about this, uh, I'm not the expert on that. But instead, we've brought in somebody who is an expert on this. And that's my friend, Andy Goldstrom, who is managing partner of Midcourse Advisors. Midcourse Advisors are business strategists and growth experts for small and medium-sized service businesses. They help leaders focus on the right pursuits and execute effectively using proprietary tools and methodologies that enable them to scale their businesses and grow rapidly. As managing partner in Midcourse Advisors, Andy and his team grow companies profitably and do it fast. Andy's an expert with business-to-business companies and is a sought-after business partner and speaker. Early in his career, Andy started and built a division of a real estate brokerage company that generated over 30% margins and grew to over 500 employees from one. After that, he took over an existing national recycling company and grew the top line from $70 million to $100 million in revenue and profit from 10 to $17 million in three years. Both businesses were designated as Inc. 500 companies, the fastest-growing privately held companies nationwide, and subsequently sold to Fortune 500 companies at high multiples. Most recently, he served as global director at major at a major investment bank where he grew service capabilities in over 70 countries while saving $12 million annually. He started Midcourse Advisors as a way to give back to the business community and now offers his knowledge and experience to organizations looking for ways to grow and improve. Andy, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks so much for having me, and it's good to see you after uh, we met several years back and have been in touch. I yeah. appreciate uh, being on your show. So before we get started, have you just published a book, or is a book now is a book about to come out? I have a book coming out. I'm just working on the right promotion. Okay. I got all the content in place, but it's got all the basics about uh, how to grow your business lessons from an Inc 500 person and executive. And uh, it has some things about customer profile in it that can be used tools and methodologies and anecdotes and case studies and all the rest. And uh, when do you think that book will come out? Probably in the next 60 days. And, okay. and when we reference my website, you can see a link for it. And uh, what's, do you know, what is the title of the book? Do we know that yet? We're trying to finalize that. Okay. Yeah. Um, Right now, it's called the Ted Dead, Ten Deadly Sins of Growing Your Business. Oh, nice. Yeah. So uh, I've got 10 themes. The only thing I'm trying to struggle with, and I'm getting feedback from experts, is that if you Google that, you get a lot of other junk. Okay. <laughs> and, I guess you. I guess that yeah, makes sense. Right. So I just want, I want it to be poignant and on point. Title's an important thing. Okay. So, um, well, good luck with that. And, you know, nice. make sure we know about when the book is launched so we can publicize it. I will. Absolutely. Um, so you mentioned in, in your book, in fact, you deliberately discuss or separately discuss customer profile. So let's get the vocabulary right. What is a customer profile? Is it, is it the same thing as what people call a customer avatar? Sure. Um, first thing I, I, I just want to do is step back when you, when you talk about customer profile, and when you had your meetings in Dayton, you had gotten to a specific point knowing that you were serving a customer in certain markets and you knew you were doing accounting work and valuation work and other work. So there's a bigger picture than just the customer profile to successfully grow a business, but the customer profile is foundational. So you need to know your industry and your target market and your customer segment before you even get to your uh, customer profile. But when you get to that point, um, it's really a representation of your ideal customer, um, and it's defined uh, 
it's something that allows you to target given that you have limited resources. And the thing that happens is most companies don't do a really good job and it inhibits them from reaching their goals, which is a credit to you and your company in terms of, of how much time you're spending on it, trying to get it right. Well, you know, we, we hope we got it right now. We got to execute. So (laughs) it all looks great on the whiteboard. We'll see how it turns out in practice, but, and you mentioned the avatar. Yep. So an avatar is uh, kind of a physical representation of it. Um, I teach at Georgia State in addition to doing my consulting, and it's we call it a persona. And it's a physical representation with a name to it, so you can kind of feel it and look at it. So, so for instance, for as an example, just um, if someone's a really avid tennis player and you know that they're going to buy premium products because they love tennis so much and they want to differentiate their game and have every advantage possible. That avatar might be Peter, the professional tennis player or something like that. So you actually can have a physical look at what as an avatar in terms of what that target customer could be or what that customer profile would look like. And then obviously there are a lot of different characteristics associated with that person. That's interesting. I never thought of it from a physical manifestation perspective, but that makes sense. And you know, I know you specialize in service businesses. Do you go through that process with service businesses too? To Can you do that with professional services in terms of building a customer avatar like that? Absolutely. So I'll give you an example. I, I worked with a, a company that was a generalist type of company and they weren't growing as fast as they want. They happen to be in the real estate services space, which is one of the things I focus on. I work with companies outside of that, but I'm focused on my customer profile. Um, and and um, they had expertise and background and hung out in technology areas like where you sometimes spend your time, Michael. And so we said you have to create an avatar or a customer fo- profile based upon what that technology company leader looks like and what he looks for and what he cares about. And so we developed a, a, a profile on that and it was Tom, the technologist. <laughs> and literally it was, you know, an, an opportunity to understand um, how they need flexibility in what they're doing, how they care about vision, how they uh, um, want to be able to uh, grow their business quickly and how they care about all the technological aspects and the whiz bang things. And so that kind of profile and being able to address their needs specifically knowing what they're like compared to a corporate executive is very important. So, um, you and I obviously agree. We think a customer profile is, is, is important or critical, but can, can a business theoretically be successful without one? And is that what we would think of as a mass market? For example, does, does, does Procter and Gamble have a, have a, uh, a customer avatar for Tide. Do they make Tide? I think they do. <laughs> I think that's right. I think that's so. So for something that's that's truly mass market, you know, do they have a customer profile? Do you think, or do they just make a product they think is really good, position it and distribute it in a certain way, and sort of off they go? What do you think that looks like? No, they definitely have an avatar, um, and it might be broader. But when they first started making Tide. It wasn't as mass market or broad as it is. So when you get certain appeal, you can you can expand it. Um, the the example I used to, I use is McDonald's. McDonald's actually has brand ambassadors to focus on specific customer profiles for their specific 
type of food that they sell. So they actually have somebody who just focuses on salads and the people, you know, and uh, people who, who just focus on burgers and, and, and literally the customer segment that would be more in line with that. Yeah, that, 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 that's interesting. I I like to drill down on that for a second because I, I would not, I would not have guessed that, but that, I guess that perhaps makes sense because when McDonald's, I find McDonald's fascinating. I worked there as a kid. I just think the way they produce things is just so cool. The whole story about the, you know, the it really is. Yeah, you know, the mass customization and the way that yeah, it, it really, really is fascinating to me. But anyway, um, uh, when they first introduced salads, that did not go well for them initially, right? Because it was very confusing <laughs> to the market, right? Because I think they. I think they didn't have a customer avatar for that. And it sounds like what you think they discovered was maybe they have multiple customer profiles. They do. But they started from a foundational element and a base. And if you're a new company, you really can't afford to spread yourself too thin. Right. And if you're an existing company that's starting something new, it's just as important. So what are the, what are the, the pieces or components of a customer profile? Sure. Um, uh, there are several pieces. The key thing, what's really important, is it needs to be data-driven. So it's not something where you talk to your friend or you see something on TV or you just have something in your gut that tells you this is this is what my customer could look like. You really have to do the research to understand it to inform your decisions. And you know, Michael, when you post on LinkedIn you have all these data charts and data and I think you do it because it's interesting, but you also do it because it can inform, um, you know, it, it sparks curiosity, but it also informs how people make decisions. Well, and it also is indicative of what my ideal customer profile is. That's right. Right. If, if you're, a, if you like to guess, you don't need to pay me to guess. It's right. like when, it's like when, when I, you know, I tell my son, go, go tell your mother something. Right. And then he just screams at the, at the bottom of the staircase. Like, I could have done that. <laughs> I want you to go up the stairs and do it. Same thing. You don't need to pay me to guess, right? But I'm trying to build a brand that suggests that we're data-driven. That's right. And I'm glad you picked up on that. I might be doing something right. Right. Um, absolutely. So let me answer your question. Um, common elements are demographics. So if it's a B to C, it tends to be income, gender, matter, marital status, things like that. For B to B, it's the size of the opportunity, the industry, and the location. You have to focus on customer needs, and it's interesting. Customer needs are both perceived and latent needs, and it's really interesting. A latent need is so important in terms of getting somebody to buy, and I like an ex- and it's uh, a perceived need is something that a customer knows. A latent need they might not know or might not be out in front, but it's something that drives their purchasing behavior. And the example I like to give best is just a phone, like the iPhone or. Uh, you know, the per, the perceived need is it's a communication tool, right? It's a way I can look up things on the internet, call right. my friends, text, whatever. But it's actually a security blanket for people. That's their latent need. They they feel a sense of connection, and they need it. And when they don't have it, it's a problem. So when people buy uh, buy, they they you have to understand both the perceived and the latent needs when you're looking at your customer profile. Steve Jobs was so good at that, by the way. I mean, he was the Mozart of understanding that latent need, wasn't he? He created a market, which is hard to do. He created several More than markets. once. Yes. 
he created several markets. And so he, he definitely, he, 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 yeah, he absolutely, you know, he was the master at that for sure. Other elements are attitudes. So it's the values and beliefs of the customer profile or the customer behaviors, which are use cases, meaning how they will consume the product or service. And then their purchase preferences, like what information do they need to understand what they're buying? Um, what channels are they going to uh, find in order to be able to purchase it via online or a store or somewhere or an office or somewhere else and how frequently they may purchase. So if you understand all of those things in a data-driven way, you can actually put on a whiteboard you know, with the customer in the center, all the different elements that influence their buying behavior and, and understand how, what your customer looks like. Now, when you say data, that can scare some people and it, it doesn't even have that much to do about understanding how to do basic math, but data can also be very expensive, right? Some of the things you're talking about on the surface sound like you got to hire a marketing research firm to do surveys and focus groups and, all those things can be very expensive. Is that true? Do you have to go that way? Or are there ways you can get data that is at least sufficient where you're not making multi-thousand dollar investments in specialized studies? Sure. It, it, it depends on the scale and the size of the product or service that's being implemented. There are a lot of resources that are available that don't cost any money that are just on the net. PricewaterhouseCoopers, um, has, uh, information you look, you look for companies that, um, have traded and see what the profile of that competition looks like. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity to find things on the net at Georgia state where I teach, they've got a, a, a myriad of le- resources. You can find it through the SBA. You can find mm. it. There are a lot of different ways to do it. There certainly are paid resources where you can hire, uh, you know, a professional firm that co- that collects that information and does that all day and, and night and and is an expert in that. And if you have the resources to do it, that might not be a bad thing. Um, but ultimately, um, I, I would, it, the data is not just looking up facts and figures; it's actually engaging with prospective customers to get feedback on what their beliefs are and and uh, and and why they would buy something and what their feedback is. And there's, there's a term called ethnography. You ever heard of that term? I have. There you go. Well, ethnography is direct observation and interviewing of potential customers, suppliers, and partners, right? And if you're trying to get data or feedback from potential customers and you're doing it on the phone or you're doing it via email, um, you're not going to get as uh, the quality of the feedback you're getting and the context of the feedback you're getting isn't going to be as good. And I can assure you that whether it's Procter Procter and Gamble uh, or McDonald's or, you know, um, some of the other small to medium companies that I typically consult with or the the students in my class, they get in front of their ideal, ideal client to be able to actually uh, understand that feedback and they draw on some other sources of information in order to understand the income brackets and thing, things of that nature in order to do it. And they typically say you need 10 to 12 quality um, interviews or s- discovery sessions in order to, to develop a pattern or have enough of a sense. Um, and certainly 
you know, some companies go well beyond that. Interesting. So what, what you're talking about resonates with a couple of things. Um, you know, one, Atlanta has an interesting technology market. You know, we're not Silicon Valley, but we're, we're very deep in a few areas, right? And, and the venture market, in my view, has improved tremendously over the last 10 years or so. But one of the practices that is very much in vogue here, I think more so than other places, is something called customer discovery, where investors want entrepreneurs to have gone out and talked to lots of potential customers. In fact, in, in the Georgia Tech and Emory entrepreneurship programs, you cannot graduate without having actually gone out and talked to potential customers even for a hypothetical venture, they make you develop that skill. Oh, um, I do that with my students. You do too. too. Okay. Absolutely. So you know, and, and what a valuable, what a valuable skill and valuable asset that is. And something that that intersects with, um, uh, a recent experience of mine in preparation for the strategy meeting that I described. I read twice Michael Porter's book on competitive strategy. And Appendix B, I think, of that book is entirely dedicated to the practice of interviewing customers and developing customer profiles, which I did not expect. I didn't think it would be that granular. It is. Um, and the way you ask the questions um, is really important. As an example, you want them to be open-ended and not be yes or no answers. And, and I think it might have actually been the most useful part of the book I read. I'm so glad because Norman, I'm so I'm so happy I got to the end of a book that I skipped the appendices for whatever reason I didn't this time. And I'm really glad because that that is so chock full of of because conducting a customer interview is not not walk off walk into an office and just start asking questions. <laughs> appendices are where you get most of your charts, right, Michael? They are. There you go. <laughs> they are. Yeah. Um, especially in academic papers, for sure. So um, what are some signs that maybe you have a customer profile that's not working? The signs that it's not working is you're not getting traction. Okay. Right? So uh, if you have initial traction with innovative customers who can validate you can solve their problem, then you know you probably have the right customer profile. And a lot of people don't because they're not data-driven or they're too broad in their customer profile that they're focused on. And so, um, you know, results speak. <laughs> and, and, and there's actually something called the law of diffusion of innovation. Long, interesting, impressive oh, yeah. set of words that uh, I haven't put together, that, that I believe in, but I haven't put together that kind of tells you where your tipping point is relating to having that kind of traction. And it's why people accept new ideas. You know, I, I love that. It's got calculus in it. <laughs> it, it does. It does. <laughs> when you work it through. So you're, you're talking dirty to me now, but so, but I, I think where I want to get to is, is I think, I think executives and entrepreneurs sometimes fall into the trap of thinking that, that they're failing to get traction, not because they have the wrong customer profile, but because they are not executing, approaching that customer profile well or correctly, or maybe they don't have enough resources, right? So theoretically, maybe you do have exactly the right customer profile, but the thought process goes, 
you know, we know who our customer is, but we just don't have the right salespeople. The salespeople aren't doing their job. Marketing's not doing their job. We don't have enough money to get in front of those customers. You've heard all these things before, right? How do you know? And this is a hard question, but that's what we're about on this podcast. The hard question is, how do you know if, if your failure to gain traction is, in fact, the result of poor execution versus having the poor, the incorrect foundational customer profile? It's, you're right. It is a, uh, an excellent and complex question. Um, and, um, it could be something else, right? Your sales team might not be executing well, even though they have, you have the right, uh, uh, customer profile or avatar. Um, you might not be, um, executing once you get the sale, which impacts your reputation and ability to sell. So, um, there are a lot of different aspects to it. And all you have to do is be able to measure, (laughs) um, with, certain KPIs about each stage of that process to get the appropriate feedback. And certainly if you're not getting any inbound interest, if you're not getting good feedback on what your product or service could be, if you're not being able to solve, if, 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 if there's not a problem that you're solving, you're not going to get, you're not going to pass go. You're not even going to get started. And then, and then there's the question that you have to measure is, okay, a sales cycle is a multi-stage process, right? You have to have marketing and good salespeople and a good value proposition and good references, and they all have to work together. But if you don't have the right target, none of it matters. And you know, maybe part of it goes back to what we just talked about a few minutes ago, which is maybe ask the, you just ask the question, why did I think I had the right customer profile? Did I do the work? that you just talked about in terms of actually going out and talking to 10, 15 customers. And I, did I do so in kind of a rigorous way, right? You revisit how you got to the customer profile. Yeah. If you've done, if you've, the first Inc. 500 company I was with, I joined in 1995 and we uh, grew really quickly in a period of time and became an Inc. 500 company in 2001 and, um, and we didn't have all these tools, uh, business model canvases and customer profiles and avatars and things like that. We just had good common sense to be able to see a need in the marketplace that we could solve. There were changes going on in the marketplace, getting some customers who were, who, who were lead, lead innovative end users who were willing to give us feedback and also pay us for the service, even though it wasn't fully flushed out yet. And so we, in essence, we were doing those things in a less structured way. And so, and, and it provided validation along the way. Now there are amazing tools and methodologies that are used in corporations by consultants who understand this stuff. It's taught in schools. And if you use it right and, 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 do the right due diligence, you're, you're reducing your risk and being a, a, an entrepreneur or being somebody who's trying an entrepreneur in a bigger company, who's trying to, uh, um, target a new business. What you're trying to do is you're trying to peel the onion back and reduce the risk in each stage. And so, um, if you're, if your customer profile is right and you were talking about discovery that investors in Atlanta are looking for, you've done that discovery correctly, you're reducing the risk and you go on to the next stage in terms of, and if you're looking for investment along the way, like 
beyond friends and family to angels and series A and series B, you have to have reached certain milestones in terms of revenue customers, uh, uh, discovery that you've done in order to get to those platforms. And then you actually have to, uh, the best companies are ones that actually um, start with a narrow um, solution to a problem via a product or a service, and then they build on it um, modularly. So an example is like Salesforce. Salesforce started out with like a free type of app or free, free system where you could, manage you know certain aspects of your crm but then they have um higher level premium services that you can choose based upon the number of users or the sophistication that you want but it's built on the same chassis just like an infinity's you know built on a nissan chassis now let's let's move up from the startup into maybe a more mature company at some point presumably somehow whether they did it analytically or lucked into it. They had a, uh, a a customer profile match and a successful identification. Can a customer profile change? Is it possible that you know once a company reaches a, a more mature stage, they see sales growth drop off or maybe even retrench? Is, is it is something that people have to, or executives need to look out for? Is maybe your customer profile can change over time? It can almost change overnight. Okay. So uh, you really have to stay with the the times and the reason things um change overnight is um innovation, communication channels, time and social systems have all been compressed. And the communication channels have been compressed because of the internet. The social systems have been compressed because of social media and time has been compressed because of technology. Um so what happens is trends change and preferences change and you need to keep up with that. Um, some of the big trends are relating to demographics, millennials and baby boomers on both sides of the spectrum in terms of their needs and, and the size of that demographic um, technology and regulation are all changing. So an example of uh, of a trend that changes, you know, could change very quickly or has changed is People weren't as concerned about their health. They were, they were, you know, they they cared about their health, but they weren't as concerned. And and uh, you know, there's a big push, and it's not so new anymore. But all of a sudden, things changed when people really cared about organic and pure products. And yep. and and you know, there's a, there are a lot of uh, vegetarians and vegans, and and I think you know, Amazon purchased Whole Foods for a variety of reasons, including distribution. But one of the reasons was to reach that audience which is growing. Yeah. One of those areas where, where I'm, I'm seeing it, we're, we're recording on Valentine's day today, although this will be published probably closer to St. Patrick's day. Happy Valentine's, happy day. Valentine's day. Um, and happy St. Patrick's day coming up and whatever else is coming up. But, um, um, you know, what, one of the, one of the things I sort of had to do in order to purchase for my wife is she's big into the fair trade chocolate now which is, is harder to get, right? Organic chocolate's not hard to get now, but then you got to make sure that it's fair trade, which is a, an up-and-coming trend. Sure. I'm not sure that it's overnight, but, but, but these customer profile things, I think, I think change the way a lot of things do. The change is very subtle for a long period of time, and then it seems to sort of change overnight. Organic food was definitely like that. Um, you know, this, this, this meat alternative beyond meat and so forth, I think looks like that. 
and fair trade may be the next thing, which which will which will delight me because I spent more time looking for fair trade chocolate than I think the whole of my Christmas shopping this year. <laughs> um, so it can't happen fast enough. Did you find it? I did eventually. Yes, okay. I did. And, and in the nick of time, because my wife is actually on, she and, and uh, my children left on vacation today. So I had to come through last night and I did, but I, I, it was a buzzer beater. Good for you. Um, we touched on this a little bit, but I want to come back to it because I think it's important to hit. Um, Companies can evolve into multiple customer profiles too, right? It may not be that your customer profile is wrong, but you may need to add to it, correct? You do, but there's a there's a, a method that you need to, to evolve in order to do that. Okay. Um, and um, again, whether you're a startup or whether you're an established firm, you don't just all of a sudden cater to try to cater to everybody. And, um, and so what you usually try and do and what we teach and what I work on with my clients is getting a beachhead strategy. So it's what's a use case for a particular customer that you can focus on in that first year. Use the law of diffusion, uh, diffusion of innovation where you can actually get some market share and prove up and get some cash in the door. And then you can grow from there to other use cases to other types of customers with other different profiles. Um, and um, that could work in, in the chocolate case, for instance. There are some people who eat chocolate because it's a snack. There's some people who eat it because it's healthy for them. They have these you know, uh, health bars now, cliff bars and other yep. things. And some people want to give it as a gift, right? And then they're different customer types along those lines, depending upon their age bracket. So you can't be everything to everybody out of the gate, but if you focused on one of those uses and one of those age brackets to get started, to get traction, then you can leverage and go from there. And, and, and uh, um, that's the best way to do it. There's a client I have in town that is a technology company uh, that um, does app development and they do training. So they'll train people how to be app developers or to, to have the newest, latest, and greatest to do it, and they also develop apps. Um, they were trying to go out to both customers, and the message got mixed and diluted. And so they didn't know, their customer base didn't know what they really were, and this company itself didn't know where to really put its resources into because um, they thought that the growth area was the one that was the low-margin business, which isn't necessarily a good play, but they thought that that was where they wanted to put their emphasis and they really had to pick and choose one. And when they did, which was we're an app developer, their business took off. Now, when a customer profile changes, it can be an existential threat to the company. If, if it comes as, as a surprise to you and you don't act upon it, right? I mean, you know, Microsoft, was put in a lot of trouble because they, they, you know, Steve Ballmer just blew it on mobile. Um, uh, and it, it, it caused them a lot of problems. I would argue major league baseball has some issues because their customer profile is primarily white and older. And that's not the way the demographics of the country are currently going. That's something they've got to, they've got to figure out. Um, is is customer profile so important that if it changes on you, do you agree that it actually could be a company killer? No doubt. 
And, and, and if so, once you kind of make that, once you make that discovery, let's say you're kind of late to the game, say, crap, I've, my customers just flat out chains. They don't want to eat beef anymore. They want to eat something that's not beef. Right. But all I do is I raise cattle, right? How do you go about kind of a crash course, if you will, to basically kind of save the company once you kind of, if you're late to the game and you make that realization or by that point, is it already too late? The answer is it depends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? I figured. Right. So uh, you were talking about baseball. I'm a big baseball fan. Grew up as a stats guy and yep. love baseball. And um, you saw what happened here in Atlanta. Atlanta saw that the demographics were changing and they actually moved their stadium to where the demographics were more applicable to them. Yep. Now, not everybody can pick up and change like that. That yep. was a, an expensive proposition for them, but it's it seems to have paid off. Um, but for other businesses, you don't want to be. You want to be in in. Um, um, you want to be in the growth area, not the mature area of a business. And so, if you're trying to make a pivot, you can certainly make that pivot. Um, but you don't want to change your business. You uh, you want to find customers that are a better fit for what you have. And so, if it's a new business, hopefully you can do it right the first time and adjust along the way. But if it's an, an existing business, find new customers that are a better or closer fit. And the reason primarily is you've got all this investment and knowledge in your existing business. Don't try to be something that you're not just because you're trying to chase something because you're not going to have the knowledge or the relationships or the understanding to be able to actually solve that problem. So find a problem based upon where you are and what you have um, and you can make subtle adjustments to it, but don't try to be something that you're not all of a sudden. So in, interestingly, what, what I take away from that is one option for a company that finds that their customer profile has shifted and maybe their business can't necessarily shift with it as easily. Let's take the beef example, right? Maybe Maybe that means you get out of mass market beef, but then you switch to a niche market of organic or Kobe steaks or something that, that is lower volume, but higher margins, something like that for, as a, you know, a ham handed example. Sure. Um, you know, if you're Burger King, which came out with, I guess the impossible burger first yep. and was the one that kind of made the name yep. their, their distribution channels and the way that they, um, serve their customer didn't change. So they had a lot of things in place. All they had to do was get the raw product to be able to serve it. Most other customers don't, um, you know, ha have a, have a bigger change than that. I'm, I'm going to be really interested to see how Burger King does with that because I'm, I, I've eaten, I actually like an impossible burger, but I'm, I'm not sure what the use case is because when you, if you bother to look at the nutritional information, it's for the most part unhealthy for you in a different way than it's conventional still just beef. as caloric is it? it it is just as caloric it is a lot less cholesterol but it is massively higher in sodium <laughs> right so it's a different kind of so and, we talked about latent needs yeah people who care about animals and don't want you know some people are vegetarians 
because it's for their health, but right. some of it don't want animals to be killed. And right? and also environmental, right? We're now so it's an that- environmental thing. So that's serving a latent need that they're trying to cater to as opposed to just people who just want to eat supposedly healthier. Right. But I don't see that I, I don't see that in their commercials yet. Right. Maybe that's their next phase. Right now it's right now it's hey, this is just as good as any other Whopper, so you might as well have one. But I don't see the I, I I guess they're just saying, well, if you're just inclined to eat vegetarian anyway, here it is. People definitely, people typically and customers, uh, uh, businesses don't typically promote latent needs, but they need to understand them in order huh. to capture the business. Interesting. So, so I, I'm being so, blatantly unfair, by the way. This is this is off the cuff questions for for Annie. I'm asking to uh, to analyze the strategy of a multinational corporation in real time. So. Well, and uh, and I haven't had an Impossible Burger yet, but I've heard it's good. Um, now I'm getting hungry. So, um, <laughs> if if how long do you think it it takes to develop or maybe redevelop a customer profile? Depends on the size. Does, does of the it have scope. to take years? No, not if it's done right. Okay. So, you know, in my classroom, um. We've got people, young students, some of them are as old as 28, 27, 28, because they've worked full time and they're going back to school or, you know, but some of them are 18, 19, 20 years old who actually go through what we're doing and are actually able to launch a business that, that I stay in touch with them and they've actually launched fruitful businesses. One is launching, uh, um, um, uh, a supplement product for gamers okay. that's specific to gamers. There's another one that is has an app that actually connects people to hold them accountable at the student level where it com- where when it comes to health or uh, getting somebody who can study with you or go to mm. the gym. And they're actually, uh, they went through a process over several weeks as opposed to months and years to actually validate that, that, that use the right tools and methodologies and did that. And when I work with my clients, it's the same kind of thing. It doesn't, it doesn't require push, you know, it's not, you don't have to be Sisyphus <laughs> where yeah. you're trying to push the boulder up the hill. You, you really can, can do it relatively quickly. And obviously if you're in a larger corporation, there are more stakeholders to please. That doesn't mean the work needs to take longer. It just means that there are more stakeholders who you need buy-in from. And it's worth emphasizing. You have students that are doing this. I have students that are doing this and doing it well. And I have, and it, and some of them, it's just a, a a practical exercise in class that instead of it just being a textbook kind of thing, which makes it more real. Uh, but some of them are actually pursuing these business opportunities and and have been successful at it, believe it or not. And and uh, and it's exciting. And then when I do it with my clients, it's even, you know, it, it, it's just as exciting because frankly, there's more at stake. Yeah. Right. They they you know they have families to feed, uh, they have house, you know, mortgages, they, you know, and, and they don't have unlimited resources in terms of money or time or cash. And so making the right choices and the right decisions along the customer profile route or how they manage their money or how they operate as they grow is really important. And I take a lot of pride in how I work with customers to do that. Andy, we're running out of time, so we're, we're going to have to wrap it up. But this, this is a, a, a topic that, that, 
probably deserves a lot more treatment than we're able to give it in the span of one episode. But if people want to contact you to learn more about this topic, can they do so? And, and if so, what's the best way to do it? Sure. Uh, well, Michael, thanks for your time. I hope, you know, we covered enough that people who are listening actually understand how important it is. And maybe it piques their interest or reinforces what they're doing correctly or makes them think a little bit harder about what they need to do in order to really hone in on what they, uh, you know, who they're approaching and, and how they're marketing their services or products. Um, I can be reached at midcourseadvisors.com. My company is named Midcourse because it's kind of the midcourse of a journey of a company where adjustments need to be made. Um, and my email address is a goldstrom at midcourseadvisors.com. And my phone number is 770-633-2260. And you can find me on LinkedIn and be happy to talk to anybody to share, to, to learn about their perspectives and sh- share any background I have. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Andy Goldstrom so much for joining us and sharing his expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next executive decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsor is Brady Ware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.